So Samson, or Shimshon, as he is called in Hebrew, um, was the last of the Shoftim. Shoftim, um, usually translated as judges from the Hebrew word Shofet, um, was really a period um, in our Jewish history, one of the early periods that is described in one of the books of our scripture called the Book of Shoftim, the Book of Judges. Now, um, Samson is known, known for, was we'll see, for his strength, for his feat in killing Philistines who ruled Israel in his day. And as we'll see, Samson really stands out um, among Jewish leaders, uh, both for his actions, that we'll see many of them are very strange, um, as well as lack of details about his religious role or his leadership role. Um, as we're going to see, it's a very, uh, it's part of our history, but um, it's going to be a part of our history that really um, is somewhat at odds with a lot of our values um, and a lot of our beliefs in Judaism. So the period of Samson um, lived in, as we mentioned, was a period known as the period of the Shofti, of the judges. This was a 350-year period that started with the conquest of Israel. After the death of Moses, Joshua led the people into Israel, um, where they captured and then split the land. Every person got a plot of land. Every tribe lives in a different region um, in the land of Israel. And after the death of Joshua, um, for, the period, for the next 350 years or so, the period was known as a period of Shoftim or the period of Judges. And this period continues until the um, times of the prophet Samuel. Samuel um, ushers in a new period as the mentor of King David, which becomes known as the period of the kingdom. Now, most periods of, of our Jewish history have extensive records. We Jews have always kept very good record, um, including when we go back to our biblical times and biblical history, we have very, very extensive records. However, the period of the judges is one of those periods in one of a handful of periods in Jewish history where we have very limited information. The only record we have of the period of the judges is really from the book Shoftim, from the book of Judges, um, which is a fairly short book. And it describes um, the book of Judges, essentially tells us who all the judges were. And these judges are not in the literal term judge, but they're rather the leaders of Israel during this period. So um, consistently throughout this period, there are Jewish leaders, and the leaders of Israel are referred to as Shoftim are referred to as judges. So the book of Shoftim tells us the names of the different leaders and gives us different interesting stories that happen to some of these Shoftim. Now these leaders, these Shoftim, do not appear at all to be religious leaders. Um, they're military leaders mostly, or civil leaders, um, who lead Israel in battle against their enemies, different neighbors around them. Um, or lead what could be called a loose federation of the Jewish tribes of Israel with no central authority. Now, the, while the judges appear to have the civil authority or lead the army or the civil authority of Israel, our own tradition believes that at the same time there was always a strong central religious authority that was invested in what later became known as the Sanhedrin or the Jewish Supreme Council. Um, 
And in fact, most of our early, what we call rabbinic law, um, rules made by our sages, date back to this period, known as the period of Sofrim, um, in a religious perspective. Um, and so there was a strong religious role, but not a strong civil authority. So we have many different shoftim, some that have a lot of um, detailed stories, um, such as such as Devora and Gidon and Yiftach, a number of whom have detailed stories. Um, and the final one of these shoftim, the final one of these judges is going to be Shimshon or Samson. Now, the first story of Samson that we are told of Shimshon is a, the story of his birth. Itself a fascinating story. Um, there is nobody in scripture about whom um, their birth is foretold and told in great detail in the way um, Samson's birth is told, with the exception of perhaps Yitzchak, Isaac, the son of Abraham, whose birth is predicted uh, multiple times. So the book of Shoftim tells us how there was a Danite man, a man from the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoach. Now Manoach and his wife, the book of Shoftim does not tell us his wife's name, though the Talmud does tell us that according to our traditions, her name was Tzalalphonit. Um, so Manoach and his wife Tzalalphonit are barren. They have no children. And then an angel appears one day to Manoach's wife, telling her that she will have a son. And as we see from the story, she is unaware that this man is an angel. She thinks that this is just a man of God or a prophet. And this man tells her, tells Manoach's wife, that um, your son that you will have will be a Nazarite. And so from when you get pregnant with him, you cannot eat any grapes or any grape products or drink any wine. Once born, he will be forbidden to drink any wine or eat any grapes or eat any grape products. And he will be, uh, and you will also never cut his hair. Um, another rule of the Nazarites. The Talmud points out, interestingly, that the third rule of Nazarites, not to come in contact with the dead, is not told to Samson. And Samson, who indeed ends up killing many people in his lifetime, clearly does come in contact with the dead. And it appears that that third rule of the Nazarites was never instructed to Samson's parents. He was a unique kind of Nazarite that the Talmud calls a Samsonite Nazarite, because um, he was a Nazarite with a unique rule that he was able to come in contact with the dead. So anyway, Manoch's wife, hearing this, these instructions from this man, goes to her husband and tells her husband what had transpired. And her husband himself wants to hear these instructions directly from the man of God, but the man of God has disappeared. And so Manoch prays to God to send back this man to repeat the instructions. And so his wife is in the field again, and she sees this man who had given her the instructions the first time. She quickly calls her husband. Her husband comes. The angel repeats the same instructions that they will have a son and they are not to, um, they are not to, uh, she is not to drink any wine or have any great products while she is pregnant. This child will be a Nazarite, will not have any wine or any great products, and you will not be allowed to cut his hair. Um, they, they then offer 
the, this man food and he tells them, do not offer me any food, I will not eat it. Rather, if you have food, offer it as a sacrifice. Manoach then asks this man for his name, um, saying that once we have the child, we want to be able to come thank you for the blessing. And the man says, I don't have a name. Why do you ask my name? Um, and then Manoach slaughters a goat, places it on a rock, and a fire bursts forth, consuming the goat. And the man then goes up in the flames on the rock. And so Manoach and his wife then see the man rising in the flames and realize that it is not a man, but an angel they had seen. Manoach is afraid. We have seen an angel. We will now die. And his wife says, no, we will not die. After all, the man just promised that we will have a child. How can we die? And so, indeed, they soon have a son, and they call this son Shimshon or Samson. And so they follow the instructions, as God had told them, not to, to, that he do not, does not have any wine or great products, and not to cut his hair. And the Spirit of God is upon him. It's unclear what that means, if that just is going to refer to the strength that we're going to speak about soon, or whether he had some, he was some form of prophet. We do not see any direct prophecy um, that Samson is actually told. So that's the story of Samson's birth, uh, the opening story of Samson. And then the book of Shoft and the book of Judges continues to tell us um, his story as he grows up. Are there any questions before we go further? So Samson is now an adult, and we're told that Samson meets a Philistine woman in Timnah. Timnah is a town in southern Israel um, who he wishes to marry. He tells his parents that he wants to marry this Philistine girl from Timnah. At first, his parents refuse insisting that he marry a Jewish girl. Why would you want to marry a Philistine um, woman? And uh, insisting, um, as any good Jewish parent, I guess, would, that he marry a Jewish girl. Um, the, no, the book of, of Shoftim Judges tells us that Samson married this woman, because wanted to marry this woman because he was looking for an excuse to fight with the Philistines. Now, we're told that these times, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So Israel was under Philistine control. Philistine was an area along the southwest coast of Israel, where the towns of Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza are today. Um, the southern coast of Israel was where the Philistines lived, and the Philistines at the time ruled over all of Israel. And so Fam Samson's looking for a fight, and so he decides he wants to marry a Philistine woman. He wants to marry this woman from Timnah. Now, Maimonides, the um, great Jewish commentator um, who lived some 800 years ago, um, writes that it could not be that Samson married a Philistine woman, whom, by the way, we don't know her name. Um, it could not be that Samson married a Philistine woman without converting her. We know that the Torah tells us explicitly that it is forbidden for a Jew to marry outside of the faith, to marry a non-Jew. 
The Torah is explicit about that in a number of places. And so it would not be possible that a Jewish leader and a Jewish hero who had the spirit of God upon him would transgress the Torah so blatantly and marry a non-Jewish woman. Um, and the, Maimonides makes a similar point about King Solomon, who also has non-Jewish wives. Um, those are the two biblical figures that have non-Jewish wives. Other than that, it's generally unheard of even in, throughout scripture. Um, we do later, in fact, in the story of Ezra, um, have where people are married, have non-Jewish wives, and Ezra is very upset about it um, and makes an effort to get everyone to divorce their non-Jewish spouses. Um, so Maimonides insists it couldn't be possible that Samson would have married a non-Jewish woman without converting her, and therefore he says it must be that Samson first converted her, um, that she first converted to Judaism before getting married to her. Um, so um, anyway, Samson goes back. He finally does convince his parents to agree to this marriage. Um, Rabbi, I had a question. So who actually put the book of Shoftim together? Who wrote that book? That's a very good question. Um, the Talmud says that it was written by Shmuel, by Samuel, who lived right at the end of the times of, of Shoftim, of the judges. The book itself doesn't have a clear author. So wouldn't Shmuel have known about this lady and whether she truly became a Jewish wife? Yeah, my money said that he didn't bother, they didn't, the, the book of Shoftim doesn't bother writing, and the same also in the book of Kings when it speaks about Solomon marrying Jewish, uh, women of non-Jewish birth, um, because it was obvious that they wouldn't marry uh, non-Jews. It was obvious that even though she was, her father was Philistine, her parents were Philistine, she was obviously had converted to Judaism. That was obvious, a given. No need to say it. So um, again, there's no biblical source for it. There's no source even in um, in the early works of Judaism, in the, in the Talmud, which speaks about Samson in the book of Sota, and in other um, um, in other in, Mid in Midrashim that mentions Samson, there's no record of the women being um, uh, of the women being Jewish. Uh, my money is only writes later that it's an obvious thing. Um, so then we're told that um, Samson, on his way to Timnah to um, finalize the marriage, um, or finalize the engagement, he is attacked by a group of lions. Um, and he slays them with his bare hands, and uh, this is his first feat of strength. He has this superhuman strength that God gives him that allows him to slay the lion as if he would be um, killing a young goat. Um, and so um, with his superhuman strength, lay, um, slays it with his bare hands. He goes to Timnah, um, where he finalizes his engagement. Um, and then at a later time, sometime later, he's going to Timnah, and there he sees a beehive in the carcass of the lion that he had killed, and he takes honey from the beehive. Then he goes with his father back to Timnah um, for the wedding. Um, the father-in-law is there, or the wife's family is there, together, the bride's family, together with 30 uh, Philistine friends that come to celebrate in the wedding. 
And um, during the wedding celebrations, he challenges these 30 Philistine friends to a riddle. And the wager is, if you can figure out this riddle, then I will give you, then Samson will give them 30 changes of clothing, meaning one to each of them. And if they um, do not figure out the riddle by the end of the celebrations, they must give Samson 30 changes of clothing. So the riddle is as follows. From the eater, from the eater came out food, um, and from Ome'ez Yatsa Matok, from the strong one came out sweetness. So they cannot figure out the riddle, and they don't want to have to give changes of clothing to Samson. And so um, they go to his bride, and they threaten Samson's bride that she better tell them the riddle, or else they will burn down her father's house. She is afraid of her father's house being burned down. She turns to Samson and says, Samson, you, had, you told um, the Philistines a riddle. Um, why don't you tell me the solution to the riddle, the answer to the riddle? Samson said, I didn't even tell my parents the answer. You want me to tell you? She begs him. She says, you don't really love me if you don't tell me. And so finally, on the seventh day of the celebrations, um, he gives in and he tells her the answer in the, of the riddle. She goes and tells these 30 Philistines. They come to Samson with the solution. They say, what is stronger than a lion? What is sweeter than honey? It must be a dead lion that became a beehive. And so Samson responds to them, had you not gone to my wife, you would have never gotten the answer, obviously understanding that his wife had told them the answer. He goes to Ashkelon, where he um, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothing, and gives it to the Philistine men. Um, here again, you see Samson's violence, um, his, um, his um, being prepared to kill Philistines um, randomly. They were the rulers of Israel at the time and ruled Israel um, viciously and persecuted Israel. Um, but even so, um, you see Samson, um, you see um, that he does kill um, with impunity and kills these 30 Philistines taking their clothing. He's now angry at his wife. He leaves her and goes back to his parents' home. Sometime later, it's now summertime. Um, he comes back to Timna go, to go back to her, and he discovers that she had, meanwhile, married someone else. Um, and so he goes to her father how, and says, how can she marry someone else? She was married to me. And uh, her father says, apologizes and says, I'll give, you can marry her sister. And Samson is um, upset. And so he takes revenge of the Philistines by catching 300 foxes. And he ties the foxes in pairs. He ties their tails to each other and places a burning torch in the tails of these foxes that are tied to each other. And then he releases these foxes tied back to back by their tails with a burning torch in their tails. Um, he releases them among the Philistine fields that are now ripe with grain in the summer. 
and the foxes run around the fields and torch all the fields, and the Philistines' fields burn. The Philistines try find out who did it. Samson did it because he was angry that his wife went and married somebody else. So the Philistines decide to appease Samson by letting out their anger on Samson's wife and, um, and in-laws, and they kill Samson's wife and, his, and her parents. Um, Samson is further upset that they killed his wife, and so he continues to slaughter many Philistines. Um, what we see from this story uh, is Samson's um, constantly killing Philistines, the oppressors of Israel, but not on behalf of Israel, not with a Jewish army um, defending themselves from the Philistines, but really for his own personal reasons, for his own personal revenge. The Philistines gather to attack Israel, um, angry at what Samson has, had done. The people of Judah go to the Philistines and say, why are you attacking us? What did, you, what did we do? And the Philistines say, we're not coming to attack you, we're coming to catch Samson. So 300 people of Judah go to Samson's hideout um, and to catch him, and he allows himself to be taken by the people of Judah on condition that they don't harm him, they only hand him to the Philistines. So the people of Judah hand Samson over to the Philistines, um, and the moment he's handed over to the Philistines, he ripped off his chains, and he found, a, as if they were um, thin threads, and he found a donkey jaw um, lying on the ground, and with that donkey jaw, he killed 1,000 Philistines. He then finds himself alone in the desert. There is no water. Um, he is thirsty. And he prays to God that, God, you have given me strength to kill a thousand Philistines with this donkey jaw, but now I'm going to die of thirst. Miraculously, the water begins to come out of the donkey jaw. He drinks it, and he is revived. So that's the opening story of Samson, um, as told in the book of Shoftim. Um, he's appears to be a, um, comes across as a somewhat, we could say, violent individual. Um, he only lets himself out on the Philistines with this superhuman strength. Um, he, he appears to kill not particularly necessarily the bad ones, but just random Philistines, um, but always for personal reasons. Um, he has this whole marriage incident that leads him to uh, multiple times take revenge against many different Philistines, um, but all appearing for personal reasons. Regardless, um, the, the book of Shoftim then tells us at this time he became a Shofet or leader of Israel for 20 years. It's unclear if they, seeing his great strength and great power, they appointed him as a Shofet, seeing that he had superhuman powers and that God was with him, and God's presence was found with him. They appointed him as a leader, but he now becomes the leader of Israel. However, the book of Shoftim does not tell us anything about his role as a leader or what he did. Some suggest that he wasn't a real leader. He was only a leader in a figurative term as a hero, um, but didn't actually hold any position. But from the Talmud, it appears that he was actually the leader of Israel for these 20 years, although we don't know any details about what he did while leading Israel. 
uh, we're not told any details about his interaction with Jews at all, or his interaction with Israel at all. The next story that the book of Shoftim tells us about Samson is a very short and also very strange story, um, and also one that doesn't jive with our Jewish values. Um, this one tells us that he went to Aza, known today as Gaza, um, but in Hebrew it's Aza, which was a Philistine town, and he spends the night with a prostitute over there. Not a very Jewish thing to do, definitely not for a holy individual who has God's, um, who has God's um, presence with him, God's um, divine strength. The Philistines discover that he is in the town of Gaza and um, that night. And so they wait for him to come out of the town through the gate of the town in the morning. It's a walled town, as many towns were back then, with a gate around it. So they wait at the gate to ambush him when he leaves in the morning. Samson, either knowing or suspecting that the Philistines were waiting for him in the morning, gets up in the middle of the night while the gates are locked, and you can't get out of town in the middle of the night because the gates are locked. Um, he gets up, he goes to the gates, he grabs the gates off their hinges and carried them up to the mountain near Hebron, which would be some distance east of um, Gaza. Um, and that way he avoided their ambush. They were not expecting him to come out in the middle of the night before the gates actually opened. That's the story, and the story ends there. Bart, did you want to ask a question? Yes, I did. Uh, I was wondering if you could, uh, this sounds like just a bad movie. Uh, can you give the, uh, what the relevance and the benefit of uh, going over this story is? Very good I'm, question. I'm, let's, let's, let's finish the story and then we'll talk about it. Okay. So his third, his third and most famous story is the story of how he is captured and how he dies. Um, we're told that he married a girl by the name of Delilah, or in English, Delilah. Um, it's unclear from the book of Shoftim what her nationality is, whether she is Jewish or Philistine. We do know that his first wife was clearly Philistine. Um, it's unclear, the first wife has no name. It's unclear if this wife, Delilah, has a name, uh, uh, is Jewish or Philistine. But many commentaries assume she's Philistine just because she betrayed him. Um, and Jewish woman would never betray him. I guess that's their assumption. Um, but anyway, she Philistine leaders um, come to her secretly and offer her a very large sum of money um, if she could convince Samson to tell her the secret to his strength. So she agrees to betray her husband and um, to find out the secret of, her, his, of Samson's strength and to help the Philistines capture Samson in exchange for this money. So she begs him to tell him, to tell her the secret of her strength, of his strength. First, he tells her that if you tie me with seven wet ropes, then I would lose my strength and be like any regular person. So she tests him. She ties him with seven wet ropes. And meanwhile, um, she has Philistines lying, waiting nearby in ambush. 
And then she cries out to him, the Philistines are coming. And as soon as she says that, he rips off the ropes um, as if they are just strings. And she sees clearly that he is just as strong as before when he believes the Philistines are nearby. And, um, and um, he had lied to her. And so she cries to him, you lied to me. How can you lie to me? Tell me what is the real source of your strength. And so he says, tie me with new ropes that were never ever used before. If you tie me with new ropes, um, again, I will lose my strength. So she tests it. She ties him with new ropes and she screams, uh, presumably, although it doesn't say explicitly when he was sleeping, so he didn't stop her. And he um, and she screams, "The Philistines are here!" And he uh, rips off the ropes immediately again. Um, and clearly, he was still just as strong as before. Again, Delilah cries to Sam, Shimshon Samson and says, "How can you've lied to me a second time?" How can you lie to me like that um, and you tell me the secret of your strength? And so he says, the secret of my strength is that if you tie my hair to a weaving pole, and a weaving pole, the, um, they would um, have the threads strung on a pole in order to weave um, on poles, between two poles in order to weave them weave between them. And so this time I hear to a weaving pole. And then when you tie my hair, I will not be able to, I will not have any strength. So she tries that, he falls asleep. She ties her hair, his hair to a weaving pole. Um, then she anchors that pole with 10 pegs to the ground um, so that he cannot move. And then she cries, the Philistines are coming. Um, he wakes up, he, he jumps up, taking the pole and the anchor, the peg anchored to the ground all with him. Again, she turns to him and she says, you have lied to me. And so she continues to beg him and beg him, you don't really love me. You're not telling me the real reason of your strength until finally, he tells her that he is a Nazarite from birth and he has never cut his hair. If his hair were to be cut, he, lose, he will lose his strength. She recognized that these were, that this was the truth. She obviously knew that he had long hair. And uh, the Talmud says about this, Nikarim divrei emet. When someone tells the truth, you can tell that it is the truth. So she recognized that, is the that it is the truth. She goes and she tells the Philistines she has figured out the source of his, um, the source of his um, strength. The Philistines hide nearby. Um, she, when, uh, when he is sleeping, she has someone come and cut off his hair. The Philistines then come. He jumps up as he normally would, but he no longer has the superhuman strength that he always had. The Philistines grab him, they chain him, and they poke out his eyes and put him in prison. Um, the Talmud said he sinned because of his eyes, 
following these women who caused caused him to um, sin, and therefore his gets punished with his eyes being um, taken out. The Philistines, he's put into prison, and they make him work hard, grinding in prison. The Philistines then gather in their great temple for their idol, idol called Dagon to thank their idol for their victory. And they have this massive party with thousands of Philistines inside the temple and thousands more on the roof. And they bring Samson to the party, chained, blind, and they make him perform for them. Then when Samson finishes performing, he asks the boy who is leading him, he says, take me to the pillars of the building so I can lean on it because I am tired. And so he's taken to the pillars. There are two big pillars that are hold up the building, one next to the other. And he turns to God and he utters a one line but very powerful prayer. He says, um, uh, he says, Chaskeini na Hashem, strengthen me, God, achapam, this one time. Uh, um, he asks God to give him strength one last time, and God gives him the strength this one last time, and he says, Tamot nashi plishtim, let me die together with the Philistines. He then grabs both pillars, he pulls them, bringing pulling the pillars out of their place, bringing down the entire building with all the Philistines, killing all the Philistines that are inside as well as on the roof. Um, and we are told he killed more Philistines in his death than in his lifetime. The, um, the family of Samson then bring him um, and bury him, um, then go get him, they find his body, and they bury him um, in um, Israel. And for the next 20 years, we're told, the Philistines were afraid, even though Samson was dead, to start up with um, Israel. Later, um, as the book of Samuel picks up from this story, in the days of the high priest Eli, and later in the days of Samuel and um, King Saul, they continue to suffer from the Philistines until finally David is the one that finally subdues them. Um, and the Philistines no longer make trouble for Israel. So this story, as you can see, is a fascinating story. Um, it's perhaps a story that would fit in um, Greek mythology better than it would fit in um, our Jewish traditions. Um, the celebration of strength is something not found anywhere in our Jewish traditions. Samson's strength was not regular strength, but repeatedly called in the book of Judges, the book of Shoftim, repeatedly called the Spirit of God, Ruach Hashem, the Spirit of God that comes to him at these moments when he suddenly gets this superhuman strength. Each time he gets this godly spirit, um, I guess he could like our superheroes um, that we have today in um, modern culture, um, where they suddenly get these moments of these great strength. So Samson, too, gets these sudden moments of great strength. Um, but really a story speaking about strength, there is this, he does pray to God twice, but other than his prayers, there is very little, um, and the fact that, and his birth, which was predicted by an angel, 
Other than that, there is very little um, Judaism or relationship with God. Samson is not a prophet, doesn't speak to God at any time. There's no relationship with Israel, no leadership of Israel, no getting Israel to move away to improve their ways or inspiring them as other shoftim, as other judges from this period do. And so really a very strange story in that sense. Um, interestingly, many, many years earlier, um, our forefather Jacob, uh, before his death, blesses all of his children, each of his 10 children. And he has a message for each of his children. Most of the messages for his children either involve events that had, that had happened during their lifetime, things that they had done um, that he admonishes them for, or it speaks about their future blessings of their tribe, gifts that their tribe would have, the wonderful land that their tribe will one day live in, in the land of Israel, their descendants will live in the land of Israel, or great power that their tribe would have in fighting, um, in war, um, be great warriors. And so the, um, the blessings of Jacob are all very general, kind of generally blessings to the tribe. However, the one exception is the blessings of the tribe of Dan. Now, I should mention that Samson is the only famous individual from the tribe of Dan um, in Scripture. Um, there are no other great leaders um, from the tribe of Dan other than Samson. And so when, the, the, when Jacob comes to bless his son Dan, his son Dan, he tells Dan, um, Dan Yadinamo Dan will judge his people. Um, among one of the tribes, like one of the tribes of Israel. And then he says, Dan will be um, a snake on the path and a viper on the road that will bite the um, heels of the horses, throw down its riders. And then he concludes very strangely with the words, for your salvation, I await Hashem. And our sages say that the, only, the explanation of this blessing to Dan is referring to a particular judge, referring to Samson, one descendant of Dan, one individual. Um, the only one that individual that Jacob refers to directly in his blessings. Um, and telling Dan how he will have a descendant who will lead Israel and will attack Israel's enemies. Um, destroying them, killing them, and then concluding with the words, for your salvation, I await, O God, um, referring to those final moments of Samson, where Samson asks God um, to give me strength just this one more time, this one last salvation. Um, Jacob prays for, or speaks of, how he would get this salvation one last time. And so interestingly, um, Samson, um, Jacob, Yaakov, in blessing his sons, gives Dan not a general blessing about the land that he would get, his descendants would get, or the, um, the um, powers of his descent, the um, success in war of his descendants, but rather gives Dan, or the success in study he gives to some of them, but rather gives Dan a blessing, um, really a prediction about this descendant that he will have, um, the, this descendant, Samson. So it's really something that Jacob had already predicted. And um, 
really it's, it's as we've said, Samson is a strange story because we celebrate Samson's strength, a godly strength, uh, not a regular strength, um, which is some, something that's not celebrated at all in scripture. No in scripture do we speak of people's great strength. Our heroes are always prophets, are always religious leaders, uh, are always spiritual leaders, are people of inspiration. Um, and Jews are always celebrated for scholarship, for piousness, not for brute strength as other cultures do. Uh, there is no other individual in Judaism who is celebrated for their strength. Um, he also appears to be a very rough and violent individual. Little spirituality there. Um, also little Jewish values. Um, he seems to be killing Philistines even if they were our enemies, but with impunity, without um, just randomly. Um, he also um, seems to have a weakness for women, something that um, uh, something that def is definitely not a Jewish value. Um, he appears to be a very rough, violent individual. Yet his birth is foretold and predicted by an angel, and an angel says that he will be Nazir Lakim and Nazar of God from his birth. He's also, as we've seen, a leader of Israel. Um, for 20 years. He spends 20 years as a leader of Israel, though we don't know what he actually did in his capacity as a leader. At no point does he raise an army. At no point does he def defend Israel against invaders. He attacks Philistines, but not when they're trying to attack Israel. Um, and we don't see any particular way that he leads Israel, though we are told he is a leader from Israel, of Israel. So he clearly, though, represents the power of God. He clearly represents God's ability to allow humans to do superhuman feats. Um, so Samson remains a very, very strange story in scripture, one that doesn't, as we said, fit with our Jewish values, one that sounds very strange, and one wonders why Samuel, the authors of the book of Shoftim, would have even included these stories. Why would Samson even be our hero? Why would Shimshon be our hero? So perhaps, possibly, Samson represents a power of God. Well, throughout most of our scripture, we only have one Samson because it's not our main focus on God's role in our world. Our main focus is on spirituality, on scholarship, on knowledge, on piety, on doing the right thing, on charity. Uh, but he represents the power of God. He represents God's ability to allow humans to do superhuman feat. He allows, Samson represents our ability, our power to, for regular people to do things that regular people cannot do. Perhaps Samson then serves for us as a lesson of God's role in our lives. Our ability to be able to do anything with God's help. Samson comes at the very end of the period of Judges. Judges was, uh, as we said, a period that was between the early days of Israel, when Israel first settled, in the days of Moses and Joshua first came to the land, and when they actually become a real nation with a temple, um, a kingdom, later in the days under Samuel's leadership, and in the days of Saul, King David, and later King Solomon. It's kind of this in-between time, an in-between time of when we were um, just a group of people, a tribe, if you will, 
um, that had left Egypt and settled in the promised land. And when we actually become a nation, when we become God's people, when we become a, na a nation of our own, a kingdom of our own. And um, a time between that separates between the great supernatural events of the Exodus, the supernatural events of the travel through the desert, the supernatural events of the conquest of the land of Israel, and even a number of supernatural events that happen in the book of Judges. Once we get to King David, those great supernatural feats more or less die down. We don't see them happening much anymore. But Samson does not have this great supernatural feat where he saves Israel from trouble. He rather has his own individual events, his own individual power, which he always attributes to God. He is, it's always the spirit of God rests upon him. And perhaps, therefore, Samson is a lesson of the role of God in our lives. Our ability to do anything with God's help. Like Samson, we are all predestined for greatness. Our birth is pre-told. Our birth is foretold. We are predestined for greatness if we only follow the instructions given to us. And like Samson, we have the power to do a lot more than we think we could do. There are a lot of things that seem beyond human ability, beyond, beyond our ability. Yet, like Samson, we can do a lot more than we ever thought we can do if we just put our minds to it. But like said, with God's help, God is there with us, allowing us to do things we never dreamed we would be able to do. But like Samson, we also have the ability to fall very quickly, to fail if we are not careful. Anybody, even Samson, even someone with God's spirit and with God's help, even someone who has succeeded with God's help can still fail if they do not, um, if they do not watch out, if they're not careful and look for, out for the pitfalls in life. So perhaps the reason why the prophet spoke, gave us the story of Samson, the reason why the book of Judges gives us the story of Samson, is for us to take, it a, take our own lesson from Samson. Know that know about that God's role in our lives and our ability to do anything that we can with God's help, but know that we are uh, predestined for greatness if we follow what we're supposed to be doing. Know that we have power to do more than we can, but more than we think we can do. But like Samson, we can fall very quickly if we are not careful. Yet, despite the lessons that we can take, Samson remains one of the strange stories in our scripture that perhaps ultimately we don't know, one of the riddles perhaps in scripture that ultimately we don't know how it fits or why it's there. Ultimately, there's no clear answer as to why we have that story there. And yet, yet it's a story, it's part of our Torah, part of our history, um, a part of Judaism. I know there are a number of questions. Let me open it up to questions. Bart, I see you've been waiting. Yeah, I just had two things. Uh, one is um, maybe uh, part of the lesson and just reinforce what you were saying is uh, doing the right thing, but uh, marrying a nice Jewish girl <laughs> instead of... Um, yes, the pitfalls of marrying outside the faith. Um, right. Very good. Um, definitely. Um, the Talmud mentions that, the pitfalls of marrying outside the faith or the ability of someone to be driven by love and their love to end up being the source of their downfall. Yeah, and I think uh, that's interesting. And then uh, I just wanted to share with you, um, 
Sandy had this book from her childhood, published in 1941, 1941, and it was called the uh, Illustrated Book of the Old Testament, of course, the Torah. And there's a picture in there of Samson uh, in the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the Philistines around him and the pillars falling down. I just wanted to show, show you that. Christians have done over the years a lot of art um, of our biblical stories, um, both uh, pictures and sculptures. Um, we Jews generally did not do art of biblical figures uh, okay. because for us, um, well, firstly, whether the Old Testament is the Torah or not is a subject of its own that we're going to address in a couple of weeks. We're going to do a class. Is the Bible. It was published in 1941. Uh, we will do a class on that. Um, Christi while Christians have um, depicted um, scripture in art extensively, Jews historically have not done, done so um, because we see the stories as you know, scripture, while we believe that they actually happen and they are real stories, they're stories not of just a history, but we believe the Torah is lessons. And Torah, the stories are not meant to be taken um, for movies um, or for stories just to be told um, or to be drawn, but for, to learn lessons from. And to, um, they're supposed to, we're supposed to see the spiritual side of these stories. So generally our ancestors did not create art out of scripture. Um, if you see Jewish art, if you go to synag older synagogues that have Jewish art um, in their stained glass or painted on the walls, you'll see the art will be of the 12 tribes, um, of the tribal flags, um, of the priestly vestments, of the temple. We don't have art of stories in the scripture. Um, now, it could be that some Jews have tried to create art in recent years due to Christian influence and assimilation, but it generally is not a Jewish thing.